Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ineligible Man Downfield Podcast, episode number seven. As always, I'm your host, Chris Golian, and I took last week off, had no Thanksgiving episode, decided to observe one of the best holidays, one of the most underrated holidays, which I can't even believe I have to say that, the best way I knew how, watching plenty of football, eating plenty of great food, and so that's left me with quite a bit to discuss this week because there's been two different sets of college football playoff rankings to get through, a lot of different things in there between where teams are ranked, how does this set up for the playoff, where are the Cincinnati Bearcats and all of this, did BYU get a high ranking, are there any group of five teams that are contending for the playoff, where are the Ohio State Buckeyes and all this, and that's just a little bit of the college football talk. Also go over a few key matchups and an interesting development that came about yesterday in the college football world. In the NFL, it is a big Week 13. A lot of interesting games and matchups that have playoff implications. Some serious ones with some of the better teams in the league right now. But a lot of tight races in both the NFC and the AFC. I'll talk about some of those things as well. And so because of the delay... I'll just get right into it. College football playoff. The college football playoff committee is is such an interesting set of people. The most fascinating and the most frustrating part of this whole process is they are constantly shifting what qualifications make a playoff team or do not make a playoff team. If the college football playoffs started today, it would be number one, Alabama, number two, Notre Dame, number three, Clemson, and number four, Ohio State. That was one of the big questions going into this. Where would the Ohio State Buckeyes be? They have played the least amount of games out of any top 10 team. Some people think that's significant. Some people do not. The Buckeyes have missed two games this year due to COVID cancellations. They lost the game against Maryland, lost as in they didn't play that game, and they did not play Illinois last week. And the Buckeyes sort of left a bad taste in everyone's mouth with a rocky performance against Indiana. Dominant at times, but not dominant for four full quarters. And that's why you saw Indiana kind of climb their way back in that game. Justin Fields uncharacteristically turns the ball over three different times. And that really took me back as a guy who's looked incredible, as good as advertised, if not better than many thought he would coming into this season. I think that was a really tough look, but it didn't matter. The Buckeyes stay at number four. And really, just the only thing that could hurt them is if they do not play enough games, the number being six to qualify for the Big Ten Championship. But Ohio State set the precedent of that being a conference champion isn't necessarily the most important thing. Considering there isn't another Big Ten team in the top ten, it's not as if they're going to get leapfrogged by, at that time it was the Big Ten champion was Penn State, So it's 
it's pretty likely unless a lot of crazy things happen that the Buckeyes are going to end up in the playoffs. Barring a last-minute change in the rankings, and one of the college football playoff committee officials being interviewed after the rankings came out on Tuesday was even talking about that Ohio State and Texas A&M were pretty close to them at that four spot. But I think the Buckeyes, with having Michigan State this weekend and then Michigan looming next weekend, have a very good chance of going 6-0 and being able to play in that Big Ten title game. And and after that, uh, and if they're in the Big Ten title game, they're probably going to win. Maybe playing a Northwestern team, maybe playing a Wisconsin team. Either way, I think the Buckeyes are better than than either of those squads. The interesting part is what happens to the 2-3 matchup if Notre Dame and Clemson meet each other in the ACC championship game, which seems to be the, the course that we're heading on. How does the committee react to that game? Do they? If Notre Dame wins, I think that's when... Some chaos can ensue because a two-loss Clemson team that's lost to Notre Dame twice, are they really deserving of the college football playoff? I could see both sides of it. and My heart tells me no. I would rather see somebody else get in there, and maybe that's just the recency of Clemson constantly being in that position, why I want to see someone else in there. I mostly want to see... The number seven Cincinnati Bearcats find a way in, but that doesn't look to be possible. Obviously, nothing is officially ruled out, but with Cincinnati having the American Athletic Conference championship game to play against Tulsa, now Tulsa is number 24 in the college football playoff poll, so that would secure another solid win for the Bearcats. I just don't think the committee will jump them over Florida and Texas A&M. Florida has a chance to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. Obviously a game that they can win with a dynamic quarterback like Kyle Trask, but Alabama is just such a buzzsaw, and they seem to just have everyone's number in the SEC. I guess I could see Cincinnati moving up a spot, But unfortunately, the playoff is only four teams, and so that really doesn't matter. I think the Bearcats are deserving. I think that they've won several quality opponents. I think they've won games over several quality opponents. I think they've illustrated that they're a serious contender despite not being in the Power Five. And I'm not going to do it now. I need to do a lot more research, but this has... This disrespect towards the group of five schools, which when I say that, this is what I mean. So in college football, there are 10 different conferences. There's the Power Five, which consists of the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, and the Pac-12. Then there is what's known as the group of five, the American Athletic Conference, Conference USA, 
the Mountain West Conference, the Mid-American Conference, and the Sun Belt. And Cincinnati currently is the highest-ranked group of five team in college football playoff ranking history. Them being at number seven is the best ranking that any school represented, representing one of those group of five conferences has ever had. And considering that the college football playoff has been around since 2014, it's a little alarming. I want to do some more research on it, and it's something I'll maybe work towards as the football season winds down to discuss. But my initial thought is, if Cincinnati wins the American Athletic Conference, and they still can't, undefeated, keep in mind, they'd be 9-0 and at that point, is it even worth those group of five schools to participate in the college football playoff? Should they secede and start their own thing, have their own sort of playoff? Amongst them, because right now they're not being con- considered. They're not being taken seriously. And ultimately, their schedules and the teams that they have to play are being held against them. And I can't really understand why. You could talk to me about quality of opponents, but, and I'll hear you out on that, but even when they have dominant wins against these teams, it's still not enough to qualify them to be a contender for the national championship. And I put out a a graph today on Twitter at the show account, I am downfield, that explains the revenue of these schools. And, well, quite frankly, between conference championships and television media rights deals and, and playoff money, those schools aren't getting that much. Their budgets are not contingent on that. So they don't necessarily, to me, need to be in the college football playoff. They're not. They're not actually in it. They're in it in spirit, and I don't think that's going to change. And short of a team moving to a Power 5 conference, it won't change. But as I said, that's something that I'm going to do some more homework on, and I'm going to come back with a more comprehensive idea and plan about how that could be executed, if it's even beneficial or if I'm just a guy who's holding a grudge because I wanted to see Cincinnati get into the playoff, and I, I don't see that as a possibility. I think too many things have to happen. I alluded to it a bit earlier, but sometimes the college football playoff committee is very frustrating. And, and where I have a problem with the top 10 here is that Georgia, with two losses, moved up a spot from number 9 last week to number 8, and they're in the top 10. They're above Iowa State who is up four spots to the number nine spot in this latest poll. And I don't see how Georgia is a top 10 team. In those two losses, they looked horrendous. They were not good. They've had problems at quarterback. That Alabama game was absolutely embarrassing. And I get it that Alabama is the best team in the country, according to the college football playoff committee. They are at number one. But Iowa State owns signature wins over Oklahoma, over Texas, over a Kansas State. Georgia has no signature wins. Arkansas? Auburn? Kentucky? I mean, I could keep going. There's nobody impressive on their schedule that would tell you that they're a top 10 team. I'm not saying they don't belong in the top 25, but how in the world... Could you put the, because of the Southeastern Conference, is that why? And I just don't think that that's a very solid ground for a case. Even Miami at number 10, 
I don't really love, but I can at least understand the logic behind it. Georgia, the only good teams they've played, they lost to in Florida and Alabama. As far as the rest of the playoff goes, I was surprised by some of the disrespect that BYU was given. I felt that they were a better team than where they're ranked currently. BYU comes in at number 13. They came in initially at the number 14 spot. I thought that was a really low ranking for a team that's 9-0. I understand they're an independent and that their quality of wins are not the greatest. I had a feeling that this would happen, but I still feel like they're a little bit better than that, that tweener in the teens ranking. To give you some perspective, Indiana's at number 12. Northwestern is at number 14. Oklahoma State, 15. Wisconsin, 16. I think that, that they have a better team. I think they belong in the top 10. I don't think Georgia belongs in the top 10. I think Georgia would be very good at that number 13 spot. I think you move everybody up. You move Iowa State to 8, Miami to 9, and you put... BYU at 10. Acknowledging the fact that they've been a successful team and they've looked really great in all of their games. Again, Zach Wilson has performed unbelievably this season. You don't have to put them in the playoff. I understand that their quality of opponent is is less than stellar. And I don't hate the committee. I know I'm getting a little fired up here, but sometimes I, I don't know what the committee and what the college football pundits want these teams to do. BYU is an independent. Schools are playing conference-only schedules. So they're kind of on the outside looking in. Now, Coastal Carolina, who comes in at 18, is up a couple spots from the first poll. Their game against Liberty gets canceled, and they pick up BYU. So this weekend, you're going to see the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina and the Teal Field. Yes, the Teal Field, it is I don't want to say repulsive, but it definitely hurts your eyes a little bit to watch some of their games at home. But it is one of the most fascinating things. But both teams, I appreciate their effort and their ability to do this. Because both of them are going to lose out significantly and potentially get knocked out of the top 25 in the college football playoff poll altogether because of the fact that they're going to play each other and both teams coming into that game are undefeated. Coastal Carolina 9-0, BYU 9-0, and it'll be the best team that each other each team plays this season so it might be enough for the committee to dismiss them and knock them out entirely but they're going for it anyway tip of the cap for quality scheduling it's not something that's very popular these days and it kind of brings an interesting dynamic the fact that BYU has this open date and inserts the best team available now the game I wanted to see which allegedly was close to happening was BYU and Cincinnati But at the last second, they make this deal with Coastal Carolina, and and that's where it is. Cincinnati not playing this week. We'll play December 12th in the American Athletic Conference Championship. But a tip of the cap to the fact that two teams sticking it out there, going out on a limb and playing a quality opponent for the the best interests of their teams, believing that they can win and that it will help propel them up in these rankings. I'll move over now to the NFL where Week 13 is going to be an exciting one. There's a lot of really good matchups throughout the time NFL time slots on Sunday and on Monday. Two Monday night games this week as they move the Steelers and Washington football team game to Monday night. 
But where I want to start is the Titans and Browns. I think this is going to be a really great game. Both teams coming in 8-3. and three. Both teams share very similar philosophies offensively. They want to run the football. They want to get physical up front and move guys, and they're going to run. And they're going to continue to run with guys like Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. They're really special to watch when they get going. And Nick Chubb coming back has been huge for this Cleveland Browns football team. The Tennessee Titans coming off a huge win over the Indianapolis Colts. Very dominant win. Derrick Henry showed up and showed out in that game. Ryan Tannehill has been excellent this year. Many speculated that it might have been a mistake signing him to that extension. Could he repeat what he did last year? He wasn't even that involved. And some of those claims are true, but he's really taken a next step this season and added an element to their offense that's really helping them out because Derrick Henry started off pretty slow this season. He had some periods where he wasn't as dominant. Teams were able to shut them down, but they prevailed. They they stayed in games and they won, won those games, and that's why they sit first place in the AFC South. The Cleveland Browns squeak out a win against the Jacksonville Jaguars in just a, a tough game with so many injuries to both teams in all reality. But the Cleveland Browns have Ronnie Harrison go down in that game. They're already extremely thin at the safety spot. Then they lose, obviously, him and become even thinner. They play that game without Miles Garrett. The defensive line has maintained pretty consistent pressure in two games without their leader in good old number 95. And I've been critical of Miles Garrett at times this season on social media, but He's definitely, I don't want to say he's come around. He was never performing badly. I just felt like at the earlier part in the season when they were only you know six, seven games in and people were already crowning him defensive player of the year. And at that point in time, two of the games that the Browns had played in, they lost and they were against quality opponents. And he didn't really do anything in those games. His impact was very minimal. And I understand that offenses are scheming around him. He's the guy that you have to get. You'll let other guys make the play if that happens on you. But I just felt like there was more There was more that he could do, and we've seen some of that as, as the weeks have gone on. I think in this game it's going to be important how the, the Cleveland Browns utilize him. Often this season they've been moving him around from either side of the defensive end spots. They've put him in the interior which I think creates a mismatch that they're going to need. The Browns linebackers are not stellar, and Derrick Henry will make them pay for it. In the end, I think that that game is going to come down to the wire. I think the Tennessee Titans do find a way to win. This Browns team is still very young, and they're talented, and so that's why I think it's going to be a four-quarter fight. There's no doubt about that. Another game I'm looking forward to this weekend in the NFL, the Rams taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Rams are in the five spot. The Cardinals are securing the seventh spot right now in a very tight AFC, I guess, extended wild card division, you could call it. But the Rams need a big game out of Jared Goff. The Cardinals, Kyler Murray, they're saying the shoulder is no big deal. I'm not sure about that, especially when Aaron Donald and crew are coming to town. I don't like that. I think the Rams find a way in this one, but they've been very pesky all season long, and I just think that they find a way to do it. The defense is going to have a very big impact. Another game I'm looking forward to is Monday night matchup, the regular Monday night 
football game in the Bills and the 49ers. The 49ers, despite injuries at every level of the team, to injuries to backups, injuries to the backups, backups, they're being willed by Nick Mullins. And while they're certainly not in the driver's seat at 5-6, and six, they're still in the race for the playoffs. They're in the hunt, so to speak, on the bubble, however you want to say it, because the Bears are 5-6, and six, the Vikings are 5-6. and six. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals are only 6-5. and five, And so their ability, hats off to Kyle Shanahan. Maybe you think he gets too much credit. I think that he might not get enough. Being able to stay this competitive, losing Solomon Thomas, losing Nick Bosa, losing Jimmy Garoppolo, losing every running back. They didn't have Richard Sherman and Jason Verrett for parts of this, of this season. And they're still in it, still in it. The Buffalo Bills continue to impress. I think their defense might not be as staunchy as it has been in the past, but the offense has really picked things up. Stephon Diggs has been a really good add to this team. The Bills are in the fourth spot in the AFC playoff race. They're right now in front in the AFC East division. Other things I'm looking forward to this weekend in the NFL. I'm curious to see what Taysom Hill looks like against the Falcons. He's had a couple of rough games. The Saints sort of committed to running the football. They knew the Denver Broncos didn't have a quarterback this past weekend, and so they wanted to keep their game plan simple. So he didn't really get to showcase much. He's looked rocky at times. So only having a handful of starts prior to this, curious to see what he does. I think the Colts and the Texans could be a decent game. The Colts getting handled mightily by the Tennessee Titans a week ago and fighting for their playoff lives as the seventh seed in the AFC. And the Texans just sort of hanging around. Deshaun Watson has put together a really impressive season despite Houston firing head coach Bill O'Brien. The tough thing right there for the Texans is both Will Fuller and Bradley Roby go down for PED suspensions. I think the Colts find a way to win that one. I still believe it could be a very good game. Deshaun Watson is just so dynamic. The Chiefs take on a, a sort of hapless Broncos team. The Packers continue to be dominant. They take on the Eagles this week who are just struggling. Carson Wentz, I don't know what's up with him, but he does not look like the same quarterback of a few years ago. I don't know if the constant adjustment and losing assistant coaches, John DiFilippo, DiFilippo at quarterback coach, Obviously, Frank Wright was a part of that Super Bowl run that I know Wentz got hurt, but he was still an important assistant in his formative years as a quarterback. Pittsburgh Steelers take on the Washington football team. Obviously, as a Steelers fan, I'm interested in that game, but I'm more interested to see how the Steelers come out and play because despite all the craziness that was the delayed Thanksgiving game between them and the Baltimore Ravens, the Steelers looked very sloppy. Mike Tomlin called him a, called it a JV performance, and I don't really think he's that far off there. They did not look very sharp offensively. Even defensively, they only had a few miscues, but you know, an 80-yard touchdown isn't something that you would expect from that defense. But the offense really, really struggled and did not find any momentum. Receivers are dropping the football. The Steelers continuously cannot run the football. They've struggled all season long with that, and it continued there. And I understand that they're still 11-0, but I'm just – that's the main reason why I'm curious to see how this game goes against a Washington football team that's hasn't quit. Alex Smith and Ron Rivera have really helped this t- propel this team to, you know, continue to fight week in and week out. And they have a solid defensive pass rush that could create some problems for a Steelers offense that struggled to get anything going. 
last week. And I know I, I probably sound like a broken record, but it was just unbelievable to me how poor they really looked in that game. And I guess that just goes to show you disrupting that routine, even in, for an NFL team, can have a catastrophic effect. Now, obviously, it's not entirely that. The Ravens are a very good defensive football team, but they were missing a lot of players in that game, and they still just couldn't seem to get consistent footing. So I'm curious how the Steelers respond to that. I'll end with this, another intriguing matchup with the Patriots and Chargers doing battle. Obviously, the Chargers not not an incredibly successful team sitting at 3-8. and eight. I'm interested to see how Justin Herbert does against a Bill Belichick defense. To wrap things up, on next week's episode, I'm going to debut a segment that I wanted to do from the start of this podcast but have not done, and I'm a little bit embarrassed because this is part of the reason why I started this podcast. It's part of the reason why I named the podcast what I did. I'm going to start an In the Trenches segment highlighting offensive and defensive linemen, mostly offensive linemen. I don't have any shame in that. That's that's the th- Those are the guys I really love to watch, but I'll also give some respect to some defensive linemen as well who don't seem to get the credit. There's a growing number of offensive linemen in the media that bring things up, but there's not enough still. And so I'm going to shine some light on the big boys, the big fellows up front, the Hogs and have a lineman or an entire offensive line to talk about each week, explain why I chose them to be a part of the In the Trenches segment. So looking forward to digging in and doing some, I hate to say film watching, but but watching, watching some of the games, some replays, and different things like that, looking at some of the advanced metrics out there. No, I probably will not be quoting Pro Football Focus. You know, the eye in the sky don't lie. So we'll watch some of these games, see who's dominant, what offensive lines are really helping propel their offense to the next level. And I'm going to make that a recurring thing. I would like to do that each and every week to highlight an offensive line in NFL, in the NFL, or in college. Either way, that'll do it for this Episode 7 of the Knowledgeable Man Downfield Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe on all podcast platforms. Give the show a follow on Twitter at IamDownfield. That's at IamDownfield on Twitter. See you next week, everybody.